Remember our blessings every chance that we get, and that's a big one. So you may have noticed this morning we didn't start with a scripture reading. I just came up here and started talking. There's, there's a reason for that. Uh, these past two weeks and leading up to this week being the third, <clears throat> we've had sort of a strange sermon non-series. I, I talked to the mics and I asked them, if you could preach on one thing as, as a value, as something that you want to resonate through the hearts of this church for the next year, what would that be? And so we heard from Stroh the, the beauty and the value of being a people of prayer. And, and we heard from Traben the, the challenges, the reality that we live this consumeristic life where we seek to satisfy ourselves instead of recognizing there is one who sustains us and meets our every need. And this morning, building off of those two things, I want to talk about what it means to be Trinity Fellowship Church, that fellowship word. What does it mean to say we are in fellowship with one another? What does it mean to say that we are a community? And what kind of a community are we? And as I look at the scriptures, I see there is a very specific type of community we're called to be. We are a community that's called to be a serving community. We are a community that's called to serve one another. We're a community that's called to serve Christians around the world. And we're a community called to serve our neighbors. Whether they are believers or not, we are to be people who are serving for the cause of Christ. So this morning, before I get started with my sermon, I want to spend an extended period of time looking at Scripture. And so I'm going to walk through. Uh, this morning's sermon has a total of 32 different Scripture texts. So I'm not going to give you the references for every single one this morning. If you would like them, shoot me an email, and I will send you all of the texts that I'm using. But I, I want to do, to start us off, is look at about 20 of those 31 texts. And I just want us to hear them. I mean, I, I'll read them. But I want you to sit and listen to what the Word of God says about community and the nature of community. So this first section of verses talks to us about what it is to be God's chosen people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's chosen people. But as we keep reading, we see that for us here at Trinity Fellowship Church, we are part of the body of Christ. So then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then what we heard this morning, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Because we are the people of God and we are the body of Christ, we are connected by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So if we are one in Christ and we are unified in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we're called to something. And that thing that we're called to is service. And so we see that the flavor of that service in the text of the New Testament. We are to serve with humility. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So humility. Humility is an anchor of that service. But we're also called to serve with affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All of the churches of Christ greet you. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So humility, affection, but service comes at a cost and we're called to serve sacrificially. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So that sacrificial love is best done when it's shown with compassion. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I've long wanted to, and I'm not doing it this morning, but to preach a sermon that is solely the Word of God. What can I say that the Word of God does not already say on our behalf? 
But as you can see from this extended period of time of looking at what the scriptures have to say about who we are as the people of God and what we're called to do to serve, we have a big task in front of us. But as Mike Traben highlighted so well for us last week, we have a problem. We, we live in a society where there's this invisible threat towards community. It's invisible, but it's extremely influential. It's surrounding us all the time. And it's the idea that community itself has become a commodity. Community is something that we shop for. Community is something that we, we look for to satisfy our preferences so we can consume it. This is a problem because it takes the idea of community, reduces it to a product that is valuable only for the individual. And an individual cannot be a community in and of themselves. Are you following me? We need to be on our guard against this, this trap of individualism where it's about satisfying the self over the community instead of submitting ourselves to the beauty of the community. But that's the way that we're wired. Uh, when we're church shopping, we're looking for, well, I liked the preaching, but I wasn't too sure about the music or the music was great, but I don't remember a thing that, that preacher said because I just took a nap the entire time. Yeah, the music, the preaching, everything in that service was great, but the children's program is not everything that I want it to be. We evaluate church and community by consumeristic standards of what do we want to consume instead of what is it that I might be a part of. We need to set ourselves free from this because if we look at the idea of Trinity Fellowship Church. It's, it's right there in the name. Fellowship in light of the Trinity. Y'all remember uh, Genesis. You can find it just after the table of contents in your Bible, right? It, it talks to us about who we are at a base and fundamental level. And we are created, male and female, we are created into the image of God. We are created to be image bearers of God. But there's a problem in that when we separate ourselves from the concept of the necessity of community. We worship one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet not three gods, but one. One God, three substances that are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that make up the one God. You and I, we're one person with one essence, one substance, one, one nature that's a human nature. I can't image a triune God. This is why male and female, he created them. In God's image, he created them. We need one another to properly image our triune God. We can't do this on our own. It's a Trinitarian foundational reality. We are called to exist in community. The very first thing we see in the scriptures that is not good is that it is not good that man should be alone. We need one another. Uh, one of my favorite 20th century authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in his little book, Life Together, he writes about the essentiality of community. And, and let me read to you a quote from Life Together from Bonhoeffer. We are a community. We are not ourselves by ourselves. We are born into communities. We live in communities. We die in communities. And I just realized that this is not Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, forgive me. Still a good quote. <laughs> this is Eugene Peterson. 
We live in communities. We die in communities. Human beings are not solitary, self-sufficient creatures. We want to be. We, we want to live by that value of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? And be self-sufficient. But have you, have you ever thought about that expression? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? How exactly does one do that? It, it's, it's not possible to pull yourself up and levitate above the earth as you pull up on the bootstrap. That's the very meaning of the very point of that saying, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, is it's not possible. We need one another. We are created for one another. I was reading a study from Princeton's Robert Withrow the other day where he talked about groups and how groups often work. And he's not necessarily talking about church groups. He's talking about groups more broadly speaking. But listen to this. He has found that small groups mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. I want to say that again. Small groups create opportunities for people to focus on themselves in the presence of others. The social contract, he says, binding members together asserts only the weakest of obligations. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Come if you have time. Talk if you feel like it. Respect everyone's opinion. Never criticize. Leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. Find another group that you prefer. In the book, Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, two Boston psychologists suggest that groups, unless they are very intentionally considered, groups on their own fail to replicate the sense of belonging that we've lost. It takes a very special kind of group. Attending weekly meetings, dropping in and out as one pleases, shopping around for a more satisfactory or appealing group, all of those factors work against the growth of true community. Uh, I'll give you the spoiler for their research study, because I know all of you are so hungry to go out and, and buy the book and read the research study and look at the data. These groups are successful when people commit to the group above and beyond their preferences. These groups are successful when people say, I may not like some certain things that happen. I may have disagreements here. I may have a conflict with this person here, but I'm committed to the group. And when that happens, belonging occurs and loneliness fades. You can be a member of as many groups as you want, but if you're not committed to that group, loneliness is still a factor and belonging doesn't occur. It's, it's, it's a fascinating study. But this is the way that most of us are wired, this consumeristic mindset. And because of our idols and the habits of our heart, church events simply become places that individuals focus on themselves in the presence of others. I do not want that for Trinity Fellowship Church. I don't want that for us as a Christian community. I want us to have eyes for the one another's and not just the focus on the self-preference. If I could sound a wake-up call for all of us, and I'm not saying that we're not doing this in, in our community at Trinity, but it's something we need to be aware of. Do we have eyes to see the men and women that we are walking alongside of? Can we step outside of our preferences and enter into other people's needs in a powerful and beautiful way, the way that those scriptures that I read describe for us? Well, I have a two-pronged strategy as we look at this. And the first prong is very simple, and this is where the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote comes in. I knew it was coming. It's listening. 
learning the spiritual discipline of listening. Have you ever thought of listening as a spiritual discipline? It really is, because to truly listen, we need to separate ourselves from our own agendas and submit ourselves to what the other person is saying, giving them our full attention. How often does that actually occur? What a precious gift it is we can give someone when we listen wholeheartedly to what they're saying. We're not listening just for our turn to speak. We're listening because we desire to hear and desire to understand. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for real, has to say about this. The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for others is learning to listen to them. Listening can be a greater service than speaking. I recognize the irony of what I'm doing right now. (laughs) There is a kind of listening, an impatient inattentive listening that is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. Have you ever experienced that where you're sitting there in the coffee shop and you're having a conversation with someone and you shared something with them and you can sense that they're just waiting for you to take a breath so they can have their turn to speak? Have you ever been that person in the coffee shop and they've said something And that moment that they said that thing, your brain instantly shifted from I'm listening to you to I'm waiting for you to shut up so that I can tell you this incredible insight that I just had. Have you been there? I've been there entirely too often. It's it's not listening solely to get our opportunity to speak. Over time, it's a difficult thing, and I've learned, and I think I'm still learning, that, that what we want for our neighbor And what our neighbor actually needs are two very different things. What I want for my neighbor and what my neighbor actually needs are two very different things. And the way that I can overcome this is through listening. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, as fits the occasion. Do we measure our words when we're in conversation with somebody as it fits the occasion rather than what we want to say? Have we evaluated what we're about to say in light of what we have just heard? Knowing when to speak the truth is almost as important as knowing what the truth is to speak. Because we might have something good to say, something true to say, but if we say it at the wrong time, it comes out like a club, or it comes out as a lack of compassion or a lack of understanding. Some of the things that kill authentic communication so quickly, advice given quickly, quick fixes, one-upping someone else's story, these these things are toxic when they're done on the basis of assumptions and they're devoid of true understanding. Let's think about it for a second. You're sitting there in that coffee shop. You're having that conversation with them. And they share with you a very real struggle that they're going through. And you've been listening to them for a good two and a half minutes. And in that two and a half minutes, you're like, I know the solution. I I have the advice. I have the golden bullet. I have the solution to this problem. And as soon as you be quiet, I'm going to give you my nugget of wisdom that has been 
curated for this exact moment. For two and a half minutes, you've heard about a problem that they have been living with for 17 years. It is so prideful to think that we have the advice to speak in such a short period of time. I would say that giving advice without achieving understanding is dangerous. It's not that we don't have wisdom. It's not that we can't speak counsel to one another, but knowing when to speak that wisdom, when to speak that counsel, that, that's key. Because as we learn more, we see, oh, that advice actually would have been detrimental to this situation. We need to take the time and learn to listen. We don't want to be like the fool of Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know that fool? I look at that fool in the mirror on occasion. Listening is hard because we live in a culture that is afraid of silence. Good listening requires being comfortable with silence. One of the most powerful ways that we can reflect God's character is through a simple, faithful, patient ministry of presence. A ministry of presence doesn't mean just being in the same place with somebody. I remember watching a Robert De Niro movie. I don't remember what the movie was, but De Niro is sitting there at a bar with somebody, and they're having a conversation. And the guy's saying, and so I was wronged by that guy. And De Niro's like, I'm with you. Yeah, that, that guy betrayed me, and, he, and he, needs, he needs to get his comeuppance. I'm with you. And he keeps on going, and De Niro keeps going, I'm with you. And then finally, the guy says, all right, so let's go, you and me, let's go. And De Niro goes, no, no, no. I mean, I'm with you. I'm right here. I'm right here next to you. I'm with you. I'm not going with you. <laughs> being present is a lot more than just being with somebody. It means being truly there. Uh, my phone is keeping track of how long I'm talking to you right now. But this device makes it hard for presence to be achieved. Have you ever felt that, that uh, you're sitting down with somebody and they pull their phone out of their pocket and they, they put it on the table where you're sitting and you're like, okay, they're just waiting for something more important than this conversation to come up. You know, if, if they're being good Christians, they take their phone and they turn it upside down. <laughs> that doesn't fix the problem. Uh, let me suggest that being present means being willing to leave the phone behind. If you're going in to meet with somebody and you know this is going to be a conversation where you need to be fully present, unless you're a physician on call or an expectant father, leave the phone in the car. You, you, can, you can make it for 45 minutes or an hour without your phone. What does it mean to be present with somebody? To be willing to listen, to take the time. Uh, listening. God says, what does God do for us? How does he model this? He says, I am going to be with you. We're just coming off of the Christmas season. Emmanuel, God with us. And he wasn't just with us. He was with us. He is with us even now. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you, he says. Have you ever experienced this when you've been feeling the presence of God in the midst of a difficult time? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am not going to solve your problems right now, but I am going to be with you in the middle of them. 
We would like God to solve our problems right now. But sometimes, life is difficult. Life is hard. But God is with us. He is with us in the midst of our difficulties and our challenges. Can, can I represent that same kind of attitude when I'm sitting down with the person across from me? I'm with you. I don't have an answer for your problem. But you, my friend, are not alone. I think one of the most powerful counseling things any of us can do when we're sitting with somebody who is hurting is to simply be present. Sometimes our words might be the worst thing that we could do, but our presence, you're not alone. You're not walking this journey alone. You're not grieving this by yourself. This ache is not for you alone. I am walking with you. I'm carrying this with you. I cannot say that I understand the depth of your pain, but I understand that you are in pain and I am with you and you are not alone. Are we willing to give this gift of presence to listen, to understand? That leads me to the second prong. So I said there were two prongs. Listening, the second one is what so many of those verses were about that I just read, serving. Serving the other person. Let's listen to Dietrich Bonhoeffer again from Life Together. The second service that one should perform for another in Christian community is that of active helpfulness. This means, initially, simple assistance in trifling external matters. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Oh, none of us want that. We don't want to be interrupted. God will be constantly canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied by our more important tasks. And then he says something incredibly convicting. As the priest passed the man who had fallen among thieves, perhaps reading his Bible. Can we get beyond our own portrayed spirituality to actually live our spirituality out and serve others who are in need? Are we willing to be interrupted? In, in the early days of my corporate career, uh, this is the opportunity where Steneric throws himself under the bus for your enjoyment and pleasure. Uh, I viewed people as tools to be used. I was, I was the human resources guy. And so, if anything, I was supposed to be the advocate for the people. But no, I embodied two of the worst patterns that a coworker could possibly have. I neglected those who needed help. Why? Well, because if they need help and they're not going to succeed, it's going to make me look better by comparison. Unless, by helping them, I can make myself look good. Now, that was the exception to the rule. I just, I just used people in that way. I viewed others as those who I am in competition with. They were all potential rivals for me to achieve my next goal on that corporate ladder. This is opposed to what Jesus both taught and modeled in the Gospels. People are never to be tools to be used or, or objects to be serving our purposes and our purposes alone. I am so thankful for the grace of God that I am no longer wired in that same way. Uh, it took a long season of God humbling me and breaking me and teaching me to make me realize, no, uh, people are the most important task that I have in my life and in my ministry. Uh, but in my early corporate America days, I was not the human resources rep that you wanted. Uh, doing something kind, that was 
in the back of my mind. And if I were to do something kind, it was, well, then they'll owe me or they'll reward me. I made it about myself again instead of about the other. Uh, Kyle Bennett writes in his book, um, uh, what is the title of Kyle Bennett's book? Uh, Practices for Every Day. If Jesus is our model for understanding service, we can conclude from his life and death that merely assisting another person or doing her a favor with the expectation of some return is not quite the act of service Jesus had in mind. I don't think that building a home once a year or pouring soup into a bowl once a month is what Jesus had in mind when he invited us to serve one another. We've reduced this discipline and flattened it to what we are willing to put into it. I think that's profound. There's nothing wrong. In fact, I commend to you the idea of putting soup into that bowl and serving at our calling to those who have need, or once a year going and working with Habitat for Humanity or maybe some other ministry to build a home for somebody who's in need. Those are wonderful things. But service is far more than that. Look around this sanctuary. There are opportunities for service here among us. Go home and look up your street and look down your street. How well do you know your neighbors? Are you aware of what those, as Bonhoeffer put it, those, those trivial acts of service might be where you can insert yourself into a place where maybe you can be of use of greater service as God makes it known to you? Jesus came and dwelt among us. God with us. He was incarnate among us. And what did he do? He met people where they were and helped them with where, what, what, they were, what they were needing in that moment. And he did this every day. This is the model that he's given us. We have plenty of opportunities to serve our neighbor in our daily activities, but we're busy people. And we have blinders up a lot of the time, so we don't see it. Our most prized possessions are our time and our energy. And these two things, we don't like sharing them with others. Expending our time and our energy is exactly what we're called to do. So what? What's an application for us? I want to make a couple of suggestions. One thing is, find a way to have service, whether it be service within the body or service in your neighborhood or your workplace. Be something of a rhythm, something that you anticipate, I'm going to on a rhythm, practice service so that I become habituated to serving others. So instead of being a person who occasionally serves, I am a serving person. What does that look like? And maybe it's something as simple as looking up and down that street and recognizing I have a neighbor there who is physically unable to do some basic tasks and would really benefit if I simply took out their trash and recycling for them every week. If I brought their trash and recycling down to the curb, That's something that I can do for them on a regular basis, on on a weekly basis. Do you drive to work? Maybe you would be the person who could start a carpool where you are helping somebody who is in a financial need, who can't afford the gas cost. It's It's a burden to them. And by carpooling, you are taking a burden away from them, and you're also giving yourself the opportunity to learn more about them, to be present, to listen well, and to see where else God might be calling you to serve and to meet needs. Do you have a lunch hour? Do you get to work early? Could you offer a a weekly book seminar or a Bible study or something where you're giving of your time and energy to those that you work with 
to be a blessing to them or to equip them in some way? How can you spend your free time and energy that's not selfish, selfless, or that's not selfish, but is instead selfless? And then we can add a simple phrase to our vocabulary. We have this nasty habit of taking the most significant question we can ask somebody and make it a passing comment. Hey, buddy, how you doing? What do we really mean when we say, hey, buddy, how you doing? What we mean is, hey, see you later, right? I mean, what would you do if that person said, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. This has been a really hard month. Let me tell you, like, I was going somewhere. I don't have time for this. I want us to eliminate how are you doing from our vocabulary of walking down the street and bring it back in to when I have an opportunity and I see Peter and I have time and I say, Peter, how are you doing? What are you needing right now? How can I be a blessing to you? What would it look like if when somebody said, how are you doing? They pulled up a chair, sat down, and waited to hear. When was the last time that happened to you? Could you be somebody to give that gift to someone else? To listen, to understand, to be present. Doing this, doing this makes others a priority in our lives. It it moves us down from the God of our own self-sufficiency to instead being someone who is present to listen, to serve, and to love well. Even when it's difficult and inconvenient, are we willing, as Bonhoeffer said, to be interrupted by God? In our service to one another, we go beyond what it means to be a member of a church. It takes us beyond membership to true fellowship. Trinity Fellowship Church. Can we be a church that embodies fellowship through service? I want to close as we open with some scripture. You're hearing this and you're thinking, well, Steneric, I thought good works were not something that we were supposed to focus on. You know what? Uh, Good works are something we're supposed to focus on. I hope that's not overly shocking, but we are called and created for good works. The problem of good works is that confusion over how are we saved. We are saved by grace, not good works. But another way to think of it is we are saved by grace, not by good works, but for good works. Ephesians 2.8 and following. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We, We forget that part. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are given Scripture to prepare us for good works. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are given community to spur us on to good works. Can't do good works without community. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. We are given people with wealth in the church to fund good works. 1 Timothy 6. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We are also given those who are gifted as leaders to prepare us for good works. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I just want to highlight that for a second. The role of the shepherd, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Mike and Mike and Carrie Jane and Zach and Earl and Stenaric, we're not here to do the work of ministry for you. We are here to prepare you and to build you up so that you might do the work of ministry. Trinity Fellowship Church is a church that ministers to itself through service, not depending on a select few to do the work that we are all called to participate in. Does that make sense? And then finally, we are given spiritual gifts to be effective in good works. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your spiritual gift is not given to you for your pleasure. It is given to you to edify the body of Christ. Your spiritual gift is not for you, it is for the others. And the beautiful thing is when you submit yourself to the community of faith and use your spiritual gifts for the building up of others, you know what's going to happen? Others in the community of faith are going to use their spiritual gifts to build you up. This is the synergy that we're looking for, to be a community that listens and serves well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the precious gift of your word that gives us a picture of what it is to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved, to serve as Jesus served. I pray for us as a church that we would be a community of faith that is willing to take the time to listen and to listen so that we might understand, and that from that understanding might come compassion, and from that compassion might come opportunities for service. May we be a church that takes the one another's of Scripture seriously and loves one another well. And from that abundance of love within this church, may we be the church that loves our community around us well that our neighbors here in this area would be able to look at this church and say, we know them. They're the ones who did this for our community. They're the ones who stepped in when we were in need. They are the ones who gave of themselves, expecting nothing from us in return. May we be a light for Christ on this corner of Richardson. We cannot do this on our own, so we are so thankful that you have given us fellowship through the Holy Spirit. May we be sensitive to his leading so that we might know when to speak and when to be still, when to be patient and when to give comfort. We commit all of these things and this community of faith to you in the precious name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Let us stand together.